He is risen. He, he is risen indeed. Um, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. It's going to be the base text of our time today, but we're going to be looking at a lot of history over the course of Old and New Testament, um, that timeline. As you're turning there, um, all right, so it's, it's Easter Sunday, and this is the day that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, it's actually something we should be celebrating every day of the year because of his atoning death and, and um, his resurrection on the third day. That, that event is the central event upon which all of human history hangs. So it's something we celebrate every day, but we set aside this time every year to celebrate it. But have you ever wondered why he was raised on the third day? I mean, why not raised later that day or the next day or the fourth day? Have you ever wondered why it was the third day? Well, there's significance about the third day. It's not something that just became significant because that was the day he was raised from the dead. It was something significant for all of Israel's history. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, so if you have 1 Corinthians 15 open, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? We're going to read the text and then we'll pray. Verses 3 and 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing the church in Corinth, and he said this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we do serve a risen Savior, that um, not only did he take our place and take our sin, the sin of the entire world for all of history upon himself on the cross, bearing that weight, being cut off from your presence, but he also, you brought him back to life because if, if there's no resurrection, then, his, then he was just a man who died. For a good cause. But because of the resurrection, we see that there is, that he is actually divine. We see that in him is life. And that life now is offered to us. We're thankful for the third day. Um, may your Holy Spirit come and be our teacher as we, as we look through your word and as we um, really just scratch the surface on what this means to be for him to be raised on the third day but I pray that you teach us and draw us closer to you so that we have a better understanding of what you did through him in Jesus name amen go ahead and have a seat before we get into the first point in your sermon notes 
let me, I need to say something about the number three because he was raised on the third day. The number three has some, a, a lot of significance in the Hebrew language. In Hebrew, not every single word, or not every single number, but some numbers had significant symbolism. So it didn't just represent the numerical value. There were, there were things that certain numbers also meant in the Hebrew language because it was a, it was a language of, of uh, symbolism and poetry and that kind of thing. And so there were things that we need to understand about the number three. In Hebrew, it means um, harmony or new life or completeness. It appears in the Bible 467 times. So we're going to be looking mostly at new life and completeness, but there is one other meaning that the number three in Hebrew holds, and this is important just for you to know as you read the Bible. Um, it can also indicate intensity. So you see in Revelation 4.8 when John is describing God's throne and the four creatures that are surrounding the throne, and he says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So they don't just say, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which is what you and I would probably say. They say, holy, 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 three times to, uh, to indicate the intensity of what they're trying to proclaim. So there is a lot of symbolism in the number three. Um, it would probably take me an entire sermon, if not more, to, to touch it all and discuss it all with you. Um, so we're not going to do that. I'm going to hit some of the things that are specific to the resurrection. Um, but one last thing, just to lay some groundwork here. You can't talk about the number three in Scripture without talking about the fact that the most important representation of that number is the Trinity. God is three persons in one. All right. That was just some groundwork work, foundational work, before we get into what we're going to talk about today. Your first point in your sermon notes is third-day turning points in the Old Testament. So we're going to be talking about different turning points in the history of Israel and how the third day played an important role in that, leading up to what he did with Jesus. There are a lot of third days in Scripture. The first one that we encounter is in Genesis chapter 1. It's creation. God created over the course of six days, which makes up two cycles of three-day periods. And on the first third day, so day number three, uh, God brought forth vegetation upon the earth with plants that bear fruit. And so there is life, right? There's, there's new life that he brings forth in creation. It's producing fruit. On the second third day, so day six, he created the animals and mankind. So what, I, what you need to know, um, you may know this already, but there are six days of creation and the, they parallel each other. So day one parallels day four, day two parallels day five, and day three parallels day six. And so in, on day three, he brought forth vegetation. On day six, he brought forth more life with uh, creatures that roam the earth and humans who are his... He climaxed with his most precious of his creatures, humans. Um, so the very beginning of Scripture sets a pattern that God brings new life on day three, or the third day. 
And that pattern is seen all throughout the Old Testament. So the first turning point in Israel's history, we're going we're gonna to see how this important concept in their culture um, becomes a set thing in their mindset. The first turning point, we're going to fast forward in Scripture from creation to the time of Abraham. And in Genesis 22, Abraham, um, he's waited a long time for his son that God promised him. Um, God promised that through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed, and it was going to be through his son Isaac that his offspring would be reckoned. But then in chapter 22, God calls Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. So this is uh, one of the big turning points in their history. This is something that they look back at in future years as a man of faith who was willing to sacrifice his son when God commanded him to. It's on the third day of their journey that they arrive and ascend Mount Moriah where God instructed Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And that same day, the third day, was the day that when Abraham began to do the sacrifice, God stopped him and provided another offering and said, now that I know that you will not withhold your only son from me, I know how much you love me. I know how much you are committed to me. And God provided a different offering for him. And, and the author of Hebrews tells us that it was on that day, that the third day, that Abraham received Isaac back from the dead, figuratively speaking. So there's new life, right? Isaac was supposed to be sacrificed as an offering, but God allowed him to have new life. Uh, um, and he received him back from the dead, figuratively, the author of Hebrews says. So Jewish rabbis throughout their history have taught about the importance of the concept of the third day in connection to Israel's relationship with God, much from that, that, that event. Now, let's look at another turning point in Israel's history. We're going to fast forward from there to Exodus chapter 19 and 20, where God is, he's delivered the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. Uh, so the very first Passover, he leads them out of Egypt and he t it takes them 40 days before he brings them to um, the foot of Mount Sinai where God was, his presence was, was going to meet with them. In Exodus 19 and 20, he instructs the Israelites to prepare to meet with him when he's going to come down and, and be in their presence. He had already led them by his presence through, and he continues to through the wilderness, but th this is going to be a unique thing where God is going to, a cloud is going to descend upon Mount Sinai, and God is going, his presence is going to be in the cloud among his people. And he instructs them to, uh, prepare for that time. So for two days they are to abstain from sexual relations and they're to wash their clothes and they're to spend those two days preparing to meet with God on the third day. It was the third day that God gave the law to them and, um, and so that's the Ten Commandments. You, if you read through those two chapters, the end of 19 he's telling them to prepare for him 
to come and meet with them on the third day. And the beginning of 20 is where he announces to the people the Ten Commandments. So his law was given to them on the third day. Now, this was, we know from being this side of the cross, we know that the law was not the fullest manifestation of God's presence or God's character with his people. The law could not save. Um, so Jesus becomes the fullest manifestation of that later on. But at the time, God gave his law so that they would understand what was true, what was right and holy, opposed, as opposed to what was uh, wrong, what was an abomination in his sight. And so in, on, the, on the third day, they're given not the fullest manifestation of him, but they're given direction on how to have life in him. So it was a more complete understanding of him than what they had before. And remember, number three means complete. Now, in both of those situations, the situation with Abraham and Isaac and the situation where he gave the law on Mount Sinai, both of those new life was given to Isaac and the way to live in a way that brought life to them according to the covenant in the Old Testament. Both of those were given, that new life was given when God revealed himself on a mountain. And that's another theme you're going to see run through some of this. This one was at, on Mount Moriah. This one, he was at Mount Sinai. All right, so there's a ton of stuff. Like I told you, uh, I think I said it in the prayer, we're scratching the surface of this. There is a ton in the Old Testament. I just don't have time to, to talk about it, so we're going to hit the important turning points. Now we're going to move into the New Testament. So point number two, third-day turning points in the New Testament. So we're going to fast forward over a bunch of stuff that we could talk about and come to the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, we know that he died, he was crucified on a Friday. He was raised to life on Sunday. Now let me just say, you may have heard people argue that Friday afternoon, early evening, to early Sunday morning is not 72 hours. I don't know if you've heard people use that as a reason to not believe or to try to debunk what scripture says. Um, but what you have to understand is that the Jewish mindset in the first century was not the same as our American mindset today. The, the Jewish reckoning of days was that any portion of a day constituted a day. And so Jesus died on Friday, that's day one, Saturday was day two. He rose on Sunday. That's day three. Um, the Jews have no problem with that. Um, it's only Americans who are so particular about everything being like so accurate to the minute detail where anybody has a concern about that. Um, and I've heard other, I've heard all kinds of arguments like it. Because of that, I've heard people say that he, they think he was not crucified on, 
Friday, which would have put the Passover meal earlier in the week. And so th that is not how the Jewish mindset in the first century works. And what we need to do is we need to, we can't hold them to the 21st century American cultural standard of like record keeping. We need to put ourselves in their shoes, see from their perspective, instead of forcing what they, what they recorded in scripture into a mindset in a shape that doesn't fit nice and neat like we like it to be. So they, they understood Friday, Saturday, Sunday is three days. So Jesus died on a Friday. He was raised to new life on the third day. He died on a hill. It wasn't necessarily a mountain, but we call it Mount Calvary. He died on an elevated uh, part of the surface of the earth. He died and he rose in Jerusalem, which is on a mountain. He called Jerusalem Mount Zion, and Jerusalem was surrounded by valleys. And once you cross the valley, you, there's another mountain on the other side of the valley, which we talked about last week on Palm Sunday, because that's the Mount of Olives. Um, and so he died and he rose from the dead on a mountain. So in the most important turning point of Israel's history, and the most important turning point in all of history, God brings new life to Christ and offers through him new life to all of those who follow him on the third day. Um, turn with me, if you would, to Luke 23. We're going to talk a, a little bit more about how important the three-day period of time is in the Jewish culture. So turn with me to Luke 23, uh, look at verses 55 and 56. So this is after his crucifixion, and there were women who um, kind of followed him around so that they could kind of they they could serve and help and 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 do things to um, to make it so that he and the disciples could focus on teaching and and educating people, um, demonstrating his power to people, and not have to worry about all kinds of um, things like how are we going to get food to eat, where are we going to, you know, how are we going to find lodging and those kinds of things as they traveled all over the place. So there were women who, who did that, and they came from Galilee, and it says in, verses 50, in verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. So Jesus has been crucified. Joseph of Arimathea takes his body. They followed Joseph, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Okay, so they did not go to the tomb on Saturday because it was the Sabbath. But this passage in Luke, and if you were to take some time today or this week to look at the, to read through John chapter 19 and read through to the end of John chapter 19, those passages indicate that it was, a, it was customary to visit the body of a family or a friend who had, who had died and was buried, to visit them each day. And what we're going to find is it was a period of three days. 
um, Alfred Edersheim, who is, he was a Jew um, who became a Christian, gave his life to Christ, has incredible insight into Jewish culture and their mindset. Um, Edersheim stated that this, this daily visiting for this short period of time after the death of someone um, was in accordance with the Jewish belief that the spirit of your body, once you died, would kind of hover over the body until the third day. Um, and it, that, that belief was in hopes that maybe you would revive. But the spirit wouldn't stay there long term. Day three, the spirit would leave. And so he, Alfred Edersheim talks about how this was, this was why they would go each day for, for three days to, to um, anoint the body, to make sure it had fresh spices and those things, um, and to honor the, honor the person that you loved so much. So they would visit for three days. Um, day three marked the day that there was no hope of potential reviving. So day three, the spirit that's hovering over decides, okay, this is, this is really the end, and departs in the Jewish understanding of death. By, and then the, by day four, the decaying process would have certainly started. You might remember from John chapter 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he gets there, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, and he says to Martha, um, your brother's going to live again, and she thinks he's talking about the end of time, when everybody is resurrected and we face judgment day, and and Jesus is talking about right now, and Jesus says, roll the stone away. And she says, he's been in there four days. There will be a really bad odor by now if you roll the stone away. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you you'd see God's glory, right? Um, so it was, it was believed that the spirit would hover over till day three. By day four, the decaying process was already starting. In the case, and so this, this sets up this, this period of three days for mourning, um, and they would visit daily. And in the case of Jesus' death and burial, the women would have visited the tomb the following day after his crucifixion, but it was the Sabbath. And so they obeyed the commandment to rest on the Sabbath, and they didn't go. Passages like that, Luke 23, John chapter 19, with an understanding of other places like what we talked about with Abraham and Isaac. Um, we're going to read a passage in just a second from Hosea. So other passages from the Old Testament are things that shaped the mind of the Jewish believer. And specifically, it was believed that God could, like if he was going to raise someone from the dead, he could. And if he was going to do it, he would do it on the third day because of things like what we talked about and then this passage in Hosea 6. I'll just read it real fast rather than looking for it. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. So was, there was this understanding that if God was going to raise him from the dead, it would be on the third day. 
Now, when we look back at the Old Testament, hold on. Sorry. When we look back at the Old Testament, we look at the prophecies, we read them, we see the events of the Old Testament unfold as God moves forward his plan of redemption. When we get to the New Testament, we see the arrival of the Messiah, which is the key to the completion of God's redemptive plan. He is the fulfillment of all those prophecies that we read about in the Old Testament. His death and his resurrection are key events upon which all of history hangs. So we see him put to death. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death, and so they no longer have power over him. He is victorious over that. His mission is now completed, and we tend to, at that point, kind of say, end of story, right? At least that's where the movies end, or that's where the musicals end, right? So he's, he's victorious, and he's resurrected, and we kind of, our brains kind of shut down because the story's over. But for how this impacts all of human history, this is just the beginning so we're going to look at one more turning point in Israel's history. It's not a third day turning point, but it connects two third day turning points from Jesus' resurrection and his fulfillment of the law with, with um, an event from the Old Testament. So we're going to look at Pentecost. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. In the Old Testament, it was called something different. It was called the Day of First Fruits. Uh, Pentecost is a Greek word, so by the time they get to the New Testament and the common language across the known world was the Greek language, the, it took on a different name, but it was, <coughs> it was one of the three major festivals that Jewish men, if they were able to, had to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. So there were a ton of people in the, in the city of Jerusalem at Pentecost, just like they were at Passover, the weekend that Jesus was crucified and raised to life. The Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Um, by the first century, by the time we call it Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it is believed to be the anniversary of the giving of the Ten Commandments, which was about 50 days after the first Passover in Egypt. And so when they celebrated Pentecost, they also remembered the giving of the law. And we've already talked about that a little bit. Moses, they were at Mount Sinai. Moses um, came down the mountain with the law. So he, he went up after God came down. He went up and met with God. And God inscribed with his own finger on the two tablets, the, the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down the mountain carrying the two, uh, the two tablets. And when he gets down there, he finds that the people have been worshiping an idol. They made a golden calf, and they were worshiping it, calling it their God. And Moses comes down, and God instructs him, call the Levites and have them kill all the people who are responsible for leading the people into rebellion and betrayal. And so the Levites follow that instruction. The instruction is not to punish them. The instruction is to kill them. Make it final. Make it complete. And they struck down how many thousands? 
Do you remember? 3,000. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit replaced the law as our teacher, replaced the law as the evidence of the saving covenant we have with the Lord. Uh, we're told that the Holy Spirit is our seal in the book of Ephesians. Um, so after his death and resurrection, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. And remember, this had become a time where you remembered back to the time when they received the law. The Holy Spirit comes down um, and fills the, the disciples and they share the gospel with thousands of people in their own language. Now, I want to look at the similarities between those two events. Between the law given by Moses on Mount Sinai and the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost. On the day Moses brought down the Ten Commandments, the people were, had abandoned God and 3,000 of them were struck down. Almost 1,500 years later in the future, on the same day when they're remembering back to this event, the Holy Spirit came down as the new seal of our salvation and found a people who were not rebelling, but a people who were seeking the Lord, a people who had repented because they unknowingly condemned Jesus to death. And do you remember how many thousands were saved? 3,000. 3,000 were struck down for disobedience and rebellion when the Holy Spirit came down and brought new life. Three, well came down as the seal of the new life they had through Jesus' death and resurrection, 3,000 were saved. The first was a complete destruction of life, cutting, off, cutting them off from the Lord. The second was a complete restoration to new life and eternal life with the Lord. So let me conclude with this. Our text for today, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The third day was so important throughout the life of Israel's history. It was the day of new life. It was the day of being made complete with God. So Christ's resurrection on the third day means salvation in him brings the sinner new life and that that new life is complete in every way. No matter what the world says, nothing else can offer that eternal life. No matter what the world says, nothing else can improve on it. On the cross, Christ said it is finished. On the third day, it was completed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son gave up his life for us that we, we couldn't do anything to fix our uh, the, the wide gap the, the cutting off that we had from you when we were dead in our sins but because Christ offered himself in our stead we now have been given this free gift to be restored to you um, and it came on the third day when you brought him back to life, but you offered that new life to anyone who would receive him, anyone who would surrender their own will over to his will. And so we're thankful for that. 
and we're thankful for the third day and the powerful symbolism that we see. It's not just because he came back to life on the third day. It's because there was a pattern and there was something important about day three. It was new life and it was complete. So I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who live accordingly, that live like people who are saved, that live in a way that proclaims what Christ did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And that like the, the disciples on the day of Pentecost, you've given us your spirit, let us take that message, the gospel message, to those who need to hear it and prepare their hearts so they're softened to the message so that the, the harvest field is ripe and ready for, for harvest. And let us be a part of your work that brings in a harvest of souls. In Jesus' name, amen.